Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. Welcome to another episode of Off the Post. I'm your host, John Mattis of Post Media, and on the line today, making his triumphant return to the podcast. Uh, he's coming up on uh, maybe five appearances now. Matthew Collar of ESPN Insider and 1500 ESPN in Minnesota. What's going on, Matthew? Oh, I'm just uh, basking in my glory of nailing every single pick for the first round exactly right. Just don't fact check that. So... I got six out of eight, and I'm pretty proud about that. What What did you end up with? Uh, I ended up 500. So That's okay. I, I That's not terrible. I didn't do as well as, as you, but I, I also wasn't an atrocity. I, You know, some of them that were close, I, I thought would go the other direction. I thought Montreal would get into the second round. Uh, I did not believe in the Ottawa Senators, and uh, I also didn't predict Jake Allen to have one of the greatest series that any goalie has ever had i had the minnesota wild moving on too so uh missed on those ones well that that's one of the bigger stories of the first round is jake allen's ridiculous performance i give him the mvp title the fake mvp mvp title for the first round because he without him you know if you look at the underlying data or even if you just watched a game between minnesota and st louis while the wild were the better team they should have won that series, and somehow they lost it in five. Yeah, I think that one thing Mike Yo does deserve credit for, because the Blues got outplayed, like you said. There's no question about it. But when you take a, a close look at the games, I think that they took away a few things that the Wild did well and how they created their scoring chances during the regular season. And again, they had more scoring chances, more close shots, everything across the board than the Blues. But if there was anything they did well to help Jake Allen, it was packing everything in front with their giganto defensemen, uh, you know, Petrangelo and Pareko and um, uh, Bo These guys are all 6'5 and up. And they did not allow Mikael Granlin to make cross-ice passes uh, when he usually is very good at working on the outsides, working along the boards, or or coming through the neutral zone fast, too. I, there were a lot of times where they got slowed up coming through the neutral zone and creating, and that probably helped their goalie out a little bit. So I think it was probably a combination of unbelievable goaltending play and uh, Mike Yo knowing those players really well and how to slow down some of them. Yeah, I guess you never. I didn't really factor in the fact that Mike Yo would have a read on this uh, former team that he coached, but of evidently it came in handy. 
Yeah, maybe a, a little bit at least. I did hear him say something like, oh, well, most of the shots were from outside. And, well, that's true. In the first game, they had 52. <laughs> so, like, yeah, okay, well, some of them were from outside. Uh, but, yeah, I think that that, that helped a little bit uh, to be able to get a read on, on some of those players and, and play that slower game. And then the Blues just took advantage of their opportunities when they got them. They didn't get many, but they put them home in overtime twice. And if you think about all the scoring chances the Wild had, I mean, you got to finish off one here or there. I mean, in a way, you look at it like, well, the Wild got uh, they 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 did their job. They did what their coach asked them to do to outplay the other team, have the puck more. But at some point, the teams that go deep, they have a guy who steps up and makes a star level play to get the, you know a couple of wins or to get to the next round who carries his team and they just didn't have that and that was my disappointment uh, in Mikel Granlund I, I know that it came out today that he played with a broken hand a lot of guys have the injuries so I, yeah. I don't know how much to put into that but you know you look at all the series you look at all the teams that go deep it's always one of those superstar guys who steps up and, and has a big game or makes a big play at a big time like uh, Vladimir Tarasenko did in game one or Sabatka did in, in uh, game five. Wild just didn't get that. And uh, so they made my prediction very wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, regardless of how you put it, that was one of the series that I was fairly confident the team would win that I picked and they, they didn't. Uh, I was pretty high on the wild and then the blues come in and really show them how to, how to play playoff hockey, I guess you could call it. And like we said, the hot goalie helps. And uh, just the first round was weird because it was it was very good, very entertaining, but there were no game sevens. There were two sweeps, a ton of overtimes, which is where the entertainment came in. But I can't remember a round being so sort of um, fast, you know, in terms of all these overtimes at once and then, oh, it's done on to the second round. Like there's no sort of drawn out two seven gamers that, that you know, really – bring the first round into like three weeks it was like over very quickly yeah and it's always funny how it starts like the first couple of games of each series are just everyone's shot out of a cannon and then it seems like the 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 pace slows down unless you're washington and toronto where i feel like that pace did not slow down that sometimes they kind of get right back into uh, where they would be in regular season hockey. I mean, every, everybody's pushing it harder than they would be, but they sort of come back toward that after they wear themselves out early in the series. And uh, I, I mean, I enjoyed some of them and other ones I didn't even have to pay much attention to, like Nashville uh, just thro- uh, throttling Chicago, which I don't think many of us saw coming. I think Nashville was far underappreciated because of the number of uh, standing points they had didn't really match up with how good of a team they were. Uh, but I don't think any of us said, oh, yeah, they're just going to run a Mack truck right over the Blackhawks. So I think that took a little pop out of it. Uh, no game sevens, like you said, was also part of it. But I think just uh, the first round for me was Washington and Toronto. The entertainment value of all of those games uh, made it worth it for me. Yeah, the it was... The tr- I knew that the Toronto Washington series was going to be high on the under- entertainment spectrum, like you know, just through the roof in terms of the skill in that series, and the you know the Austin Matthews Mitch Marner mystery of you know how good are they actually going to be come playoff time. Marner didn't have a great series. Matthews had a great one, uh, four goals, and the series was as close as it can get, and which is just mind-boggling when you think the Leafs were in 30th last year and then they went all the way 
to pushing the Capitals to a, si- a six-game overtime, and all the games, all six, were decided by one goal. Just unfathomable, uh, you know, a few months ago or six months ago, a year ago. Incredible turnaround in that sense. But Washington gets through, and we're going to talk about their series with Pittsburgh in the second round. Uh, this is the this is the heavyweight of the second round, really. It's the one that's going to drive TV numbers. It's really, on paper, the one that you should get excited about. Uh, it's the top two teams in the regular season, duking it out, unfortunately, in the second round. But, you know, we'll save the, uh, the, the rants about the playoff format for another day. And uh, this has classic written all over it. Uh, do you have uh, a good read on who you think is going to come out on top? Are you sure that I can't rant for just a little okay, while? Okay, fine, fine. <laughs> no, it's it's okay. I mean, they were bound. I think they were bound to play anyway. Uh, no disrespect to Ottawa or the New York Rangers, but those are to me quite inferior teams to Pittsburgh and the Capitals. And to me, uh, you know, I think that the Capitals will benefit from having played Toronto in the first round because I think they were taken aback a little bit early in the series by the insane speed and skill and pace that Toronto plays at. And it kind of reminds me of how Pittsburgh ran people out of the gym uh, last year, right? I mean, that was kind of uh, the Capitals' issue and a lot of teams' issue with, with facing Pittsburgh, San Jose in the Stanley Cup final is they were playing at such a high pace that they were creating scoring chances all the time. You remember last year, the big conversation was the Benino and Hagelin and Kessel line. And, you know, I mean, Pittsburgh basically brought back their entire roster from last year. So they've got the speed, they've got the same coach, they've got Crosby playing at a high level and facing a team in the first round and trying to adjust to some of that speed and skill that they saw from the Nylanders and Marners and, and Austin Matthews and that high tempo that Babcock plays. I think that will help. I still have concerns about the blue line for Washington. Uh, I like how Nate Schmidt played in the first uh, round. I thought he was very good. But it's been the big issue for them. I think year after year they have never had that key number one defenseman, Drew Doughty or Duncan Keith type 35-minute dominant defenseman. They've always kind of had to rely on by committee back there, yep. and that would that would worry me when you've got to try to shut down a really deep and dynamic group of forwards uh, in Pittsburgh. But then you look on the other side with Pittsburgh, and their dominant, you know, minute logging guy is out, Chris Letang, and they're doing it by committee right now, and that's that's the X factor in this series with Columbus and Pittsburgh. Obviously, Letang was still out, and that was a factor. But I thought, you know what, Pittsburgh's just far and above better than Columbus that the Latang factor won't really be part of the outcome of the series. But then when I, when I now assess uh, Pittsburgh versus Washington, I go, man, how are they going to contain all of Washington's guns? And Washington's second line was quite dominant against, uh, well, dominant might be strong, but played quite well against Toronto. They got six goals from Johansson, uh, Kuznetsov and Williams and two game winners. Like they, they were on, they were, pushing play and something about Williams he just uh, like it, it doesn't make sense but he's just so much better in the playoffs and uh you know to get back to my point Latang is not there they don't have that guy who can stop um you know the Ovechkins the Backstroms and then the second line you know you know what I mean there's there's that hole and I think this is where they get exposed against a very deep Capitals team yeah, I, I would agree with you. And I, uh, for my picks at ESPN Insider, I picked the Capitals in seven for this for exactly that reason. I, I mean, you look at 
the way that Malkin and Castle and Crosby were going in the first round, and it's just how do you stop? the obscene talent from those three guys. And especially when Malkin is really engaged and healthy is, I mean, he is, uh, can be as much of an unstoppable force as, as Crosby can be. But now you're talking about asking for the most minutes of any defenseman to be Justin Schultz sometimes, uh, or yeah. to be Olimata or Trevor Daly. I mean, these guys are all good defensemen, but they are not that guy who can really carry a team. And the other thing is, too, though I like Olimata's defensive game better than some of the others, I don't look at him and say, yes, that's a guy who can just lock down the opponent's best player, who could dominate the front of the net. And the depth of the Capitals is something that they have not had, I think, until Barry Trotz was coaching the team. Uh, when I look at the days of Bruce Boudreaux in Washington, I mean, you had uh, Backstrom and Semin and Ovechkin. And then after that, it was kind of a mixed mash of players. Now I feel like they run two, three lines of really excellent talent out there. And then every once in a while, I guess Tom Wilson's going to come up with a big goal. Uh, but He's not uh, a bad fourth liner. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Right, if you're going to pick fourth liners across the league, Tom Wilson's pretty high up there if you, if you still – subscribe to the whole you know uh grit notion he can skate he can score the odd time yeah and i think that uh, that was a pittsburgh advantage last year against most teams was they had a better fourth line and maybe it's maybe it's a little more even but having justin williams and his ability to score not just you know it is i think it's like a half myth that he only shows up in the playoffs <laughs> yeah well he does score 20 goals been... every year in the regular season too i mean yeah, and he's never been a huge power play time player during his career. He wasn't like a guy that was getting three, four minutes of power play time a night. Yeah. So even strength scoring, I mean, he's one of the better scorers, not elite like a Crosby, but he's up there. Um, but yeah, having him, adding him to the mix, uh, having young guys like Kuznetsov and Burakovsky, I think that's going to be just a little too much. But like you said, I mean, this is the series where – it's the appointment viewing. You want to make sure you're sitting down to see every time these two teams are playing. And you wonder how many more times we'll get a shot to see these two. I mean, I, I don't think Ovechkin or Crosby, either one is falling off a cliff, but these teams are getting on the older side. I mean, we've been doing this dance between these two for about a decade now, and you just uh, want to enjoy every minute of Crosby versus Ovechkin. Yeah, time runs out eventually, and – Another edge that I give to the Capitals, and I'm picking them in seven as well, so that's kind of boring that we picked the same thing, but um, is in net. And it's a, it's a slight edge. Like, I just think Holpe, if you look at his career save percentage in the playoffs, I believe it's 936. Like, he's been very good in the playoffs, and he was good against the Leafs, 925, good enough. Um, he had some weak moments, but overall, very good. And Fleury played great in the first round, but as we know, he's got his playoff demons. Uh, we'll see if that... Uh, you know, rears its head, uh, but them not having Matt Murray at their disposal is is a bit of a, a vulnerable spot. So I give the Caps an edge in goaltending, and then uh, Caps an edge in terms of Latang being out and uh, the, the the Pittsburgh Penguins not being able to really overcome uh, the Capitals' uh, depth there. Yeah, the flurry thing adds an extra layer of intrigue for me because it wasn't just a narrative; it wasn't just something people said. It was the absolute truth that he melted down year after year. And if it was just a year or two thing, 
Maybe you would have, you know, some some goalies get this if they have a, a bad series or two. What early in Carey Price's career was, can Carey Price really step yeah, up I in the that. playoffs? And then, you know, obviously he proved that he could. But with Flurry, it was year after year after year. And then recently it's been better, and his overall numbers have been better at times. Uh, this year was just okay. So it's like, all right, he's got one more kick at the can here. I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's a free agent after this year, so they'll definitely be moving on. Is that right? Or maybe one more year? He might. But, I mean, Either Matt way. Matt Murray's it, the goalie of the, of the future for them, right? Yeah, absolutely. So this is it. This is your shot for Marc-Andre Fleury and probably is his last chance in Pittsburgh to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Um, as a starter. No, I think his uh, his days there are more or less numbered. And you know what? you got to give him credit that he hasn't, you know, cried about it through the media who knows what goes on behind closed doors and and it doesn't seem like anything's been going on but like he's been a great sport about this i mean they win the cup last year with uh, the 20 year old rookie where flurry has been around for so long like that's a bit of a hit to the ego but he's definitely not showing it yeah it was funny last year uh, a friend of mine who was a former nhl captain said uh, we were talking about who the cup was going to go to first second you know who Crosby's going to hand it to and he was putting his bets on Marc-Andre Fleury and I said you're crazy he's not even playing and he was one of the first to get it because they appreciated so much uh, what he, not only what he's done for the franchise of being their goalie for a long time but just how he handled all of that stuff I, he deserved a lot of credit for it and you're, you're right about that it would be very easy to have it out there that he wants to be traded or whatever else and then make this kind of a distraction by the time he gets in and instead it hasn't been. So when it when it comes to that sort of thing and just how much the team seems to like him and rally around him, uh, it, I mean, it would be nice, I guess, from that standpoint to see him play well and have the series be close because of it. If it's another Marc-Andre Fleury meltdown series, uh, you and I could be pretty disappointed as hockey fans, right? I mean, it, I mean, it could be over quick with as uh, dynamic and scary as the Washington offense is. Yeah, you talk about quick series. Uh, let's talk about the other Eastern one. And I'm picking, I'm going to throw my prediction out there first uh, so I get ahead of the curve here. I'm picking the Rangers in five because I think the Sens Cinderella run, it's it's over. All the fairy dust is gone. Um, it's just, they. Th- there's been so many good stories on that team. And it's, you know, last round with Clark MacArthur scoring in overtime. Like, come on. Like, when does this, when do the, the chapters stop getting written? You know what I mean? So, it's just, they're, I think they're going to hit a wall, and I think the Rangers are a good team. I think they're actually a very good hockey team, and Lundqvist played very well in the first round, which is encouraging. And it's just, you know, you st- you stack the two teams up against each other, and you go, how can I even bet on the Sens, even though, you know, they somehow won the first round over Boston, a team that the underlying numbers favored heavily. But it was, I mean... That that's kind of an apples and oranges thing. The Rangers, I think, are a better team than Boston. But um, to get back to my point, it's it's the Senators, you know, hitting a wall here against uh, a team like the Rangers that is that is pretty deep up front, and I don't think the Senators can handle that with their uh, back end being so top heavy with you know Eric Carlson, Mark Mathot, and then a few other guys. Well, I too picked the New York Rangers in five years. So oh I guess man, you and I were just. Uh, I know. I guess we were just thinking the same way. 
I have not thought of the Ottawa Senators as a good hockey team at any point this year. I kept thinking they're going to fall off, they're going to fall off, but the Atlantic Division was just so bad this year, and that's no disrespect uh, to the Maple Leafs making it, but uh, it probably helped them a little bit that the Atlantic Division was just not very good, and it definitely helped the Ottawa Senators. I mean, you go through all the numbers, and where are they – even one of the top teams in any of the categories. I mean, when you look at their five-on-five scoring, they're not even close to the Rangers. Uh, Per 60 minutes, they're 22nd in the league below Carolina this year in their five-on-five scoring. And, you know, their goaltender has been very, very good, and it's impossible not to root for uh, Craig Anderson. Um, Like you said, the kind of the fairy tale story there. So he's always capable of getting hot and was very, very good uh, at five on five this year. But the other parts of their game are so limited. You've got just, you know, a Bobby Ryan who's 100 years old and uh, they make a trade that I didn't quite understand. The Mika Zibanejad trade, uh, because I I like Zibanejad as a player. So now he can get his revenge. Uh, So, you know, I, I look at them as uh, kind of a team that's got some nice forwards that you want, but nobody really truly dominant up front. Uh, like you said, a very limited back end, and then they rely a lot on their goaltender. So I, I see the Rangers as a deep scoring team with, even though they have questions on their defense, I think it's much better and deeper than Ottawa's. And then Lundqvist, he had his worst year in the regular season. And I went into that series against Montreal thinking, well, we'll see about Lundqvist and where he's at, and I think he gave us a very strong answer to that question. So I think he's just going to be too much for them. When you bring up Bobby Ryan, the guy had a really good series uh, against Boston, and where where has that been all season, right? So, that, that you know, the good stories keep on coming. Derek Broussard had a good a good series again, a guy who underachieved during the regular season. So it's like once one guy falls off, some other guy comes up. But I just it just doesn't seem like a recipe for success. And with the Rangers. Their mo is speed and skill, and I can like I, I'm picturing Michael Grabner getting breakaway after breakaway in my mind right now because you know that that center's defense is just it's just not up to snub in terms of uh, competing like you know line after line they can maybe you know the Carlson unit can handle you know the opposition's best line but they can't be out there 24 seven especially after Carlson comes out and says you know I have a foot problem apparently it's healed but. Hey, he's uh, he's not a hundred percent. So um, even though he carried the team through the first round, there's there's just they're running out of gas. Yeah, I I would guess that that is the the case too. And they got an incredibly again. I will not rant about the uh, playoff <laughs> system, but an you'll just talk about ranting about it. <laughs> I know I'll talk about it, so you can just fill in the blanks. But what an easy matchup in comparison. Uh, to other teams. Pittsburgh's got to play a very, very good regular season Columbus team. And here's Ottawa that gets the team that has the fewest number of points. I, what did they do to deserve that? I, I just will not uh, quite understand that. I mean, I'm just uh, looking at their rankings uh, across the goals for goals against those things. They were 23rd in power play, 22nd in penalty kill, 22nd in goals per game. Like this, this how is this team even in the playoffs? And I guess the answer is, uh, because Tampa Bay never quite yeah. got it together or didn't get it together till the end of the season. And then Florida, Detroit, and Buffalo were all really bad. And so there you go. You end up in the playoffs as 
as Ottawa. And, I, and you know what? With just the nature of the playoffs and New York has its own shortcomings, uh, I would put I would heavily bet on New York. But since it's the playoffs, you just never really know, I guess. Um, so I, I don't want to insult uh, the Senators too much, but if you compare like their competition of their division for this year – I mean, so the Rangers are sitting there playing Columbus and Pittsburgh and Washington a ton all year. Well, Ottawa's getting fat on the Atlantic. So uh, that is one that I would say I'm most confident in picking the Rangers. And then on the West, uh, my favorite series of the second round is actually Anaheim and Edmonton because the Ducks are <laughs> were, were looking really good against the Flames. I, they, there were some kind of concerns, I guess. They got outchanced by the Flames, but, but you know they swept them, and you know maybe that's maybe that's just a hiccup in terms of uh, controlling play. But man, I like you look at the Oilers and you go, if Mc, you know McDavid can maybe steal another series, but then you go, you know they have so many shutdown guys on on the Ducks that how is he how is he even you know himself gonna get going? Let alone the rest of the team um, with Kessler and Getzlaff can probably rotate on on shutting McDavid down. So I've, I'm, I've got the ducks heavily favored it. I'm going to go with uh, them in five. And uh, I think Edmonton's a good team. I think they're a team on the rise, but uh, they're just not ready to beat such a, um, such a strong team up front that has guys coming back from injury on the back. Like it's, they didn't even have their full team last, last round. Uh, I believe Vatnin only played one game. Um, there were a couple other guys that were, that were kind of in and out of the lineup. So, the Ducks are going to be healthier, and they're just they're just so like bulletproof in in my mind. Yeah, uh, Cam Fowler coming back could be a, right. a big thing for them. Um, he's been very good in the playoffs in the past. Uh, he's got I think more than a point every other game, somewhere in that range. He's he's put up a lot of points in the playoffs, and actually had one of the best years of his career this year from the uh, analytics standpoint and Corsi and things like that. Uh, so maybe under Randy Carlisle, he's taken a step forward there. Uh, their depth and their experience. Now, I'm not big on playoff experience, but I think just the uh, fact that those players are mostly in their prime would matter. It doesn't matter how many playoff games you've played, but when you have all your players like your get laughs and Silverberg is becoming a very nice player, Cogliano, guys like that who are in their prime, uh, Getzlaff maybe a little past it, but still one of the top players in the league, Lindholm, Bodman, Fowler, all these guys are in their prime, as opposed to some of the up-and-comers of uh, your dry sidles or your, your Connor McDavid here. McDavid is the factor, though, right? I mean, uh, if Anaheim gives up scoring chances to Connor McDavid, I can guarantee he gets more than two goals, which he had uh, in the first series against San Jose. They didn't need an insane series from Connor McDavid with only four points to beat San Jose, who was a team that's been fading this year. I think toward the end they were quite bad. Jumbo Joe's playing through a bunch of injuries. But if McDavid gets hot, it can always even it out because he's going to be the best player on the ice. The, the stat that I love about McDavid, though, is that per 60 minutes of even strength hockey, they score three and a half goals with him on the ice and only two without him on the ice. Wow, that's substantial. So, I mean, it's a it's kind of a one-line team at the moment. Their defense is much better than it has been in your past. So is their goaltending. But I, I'm with you. I think that they're not quite there yet. I have them uh, getting some big performances by McDavid, though, enough to push it to six games, but Anaheim ultimately prevailing there. Yeah, it's a matchup thing with me. I 
I like I, this isn't any uh, you know uh, uh, me ripping the the Oilers or anything. It's just they don't like the Ducks have been sort of building towards this moment. Like you said, their primes are all coming together, and even just guys having really good seasons like a Cogliano, a Raquel, a Silverberg, like. Getzlaff has been one of the better players of the last 30 games. Like the, everything's kind of coming together and it's not fake. Like, like say the senators, how it's like, you know, one guy steps up, another guy steps up. This is like, they're all coming, you know, I hate to use a cliche, but you know, uh, what is it called? Firing on all cylinders. <laughs> like oh that's, boy, wow. yeah, I know. That's what it's like with the ducks though. And, and, and let me pause and uh, reflect that it's Randy Carlisle behind the bench. And I will be <laughs> the first to admit that I did not expect them to, really be a strong contender this year and like i'm a i'm on the ducks bandwagon and, and carlisle's driving it coincidentally uh yeah you know what i am right there with you in expecting the ducks to really fall back this year and i was thinking about i mean we saw cory perry fade this year yeah really he's not he's not the same age curve that, oh, i was just saying he's he's not the same player as he was but He's still, you know, a quality top six guy, and he's got other uh, younger guys like Raquel and, and Silverberg kind of picking up the slack, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. And and he had a good first round, but uh, just pulling this up, he only played 14 and a half minutes a game in the first round, so he's kind of limited now. So I thought that eventually that would happen and he would uh, the, the Ducks would fade a little bit, but they have turned into, you know, at one time under Bruce Boudreaux, it was like, Boy, this team is just such a great offensive attack, and they're flying up and down the ice. And now they're one of the best defensive teams in the league. They've got not one, but two good goaltenders. Uh, I think maybe Toronto fans would argue about Bernier, but he had a good season. And John Gibson has turned into what people believed he could be for a long time. They were one of the best on the penalty kill, one of the best in goals against. And I think as playoff series go on, what we find many times with the, the Kings out in the Western Conference is teams that can really shut you down often are able to take these playoff series. So uh, that is that that too is why I'm leaning on the Ducks. And Silverberg is my guy to watch. I think he's a tremendous two-way player who's really stepped up his game uh, every time he's been in the playoffs. But just that's a guy that if you're watching this series, keep an eye on him when he's out on the ice because he plays – such a good two-way game he's so hard on his stick he's an effort player but then also has skill too and I think he's kind of the uh, I don't know I, like the key to their uh, being able to shut down other teams and then produce as well yeah I'm a big fan as well uh let's shift to the last series and I'm going to give get you to give your prediction first uh this is Nashville versus St. Louis who do you have I am taking Nashville in this series in five games I've got him in six, uh, so like, we have a small <laughs> difference of opinion. But we we picked all the same teams. I feel like this round is just like there's not unless you want to be a like a, a serious hot take artist. Like there's not anything that's like borderline that that's that's a coin flip. I feel like mo like four to four series are like you know which team is better. I think that you're right. Um, of course, we could just go over four that easily. Yeah, well, that's very. It's probably going to happen realistically, but yeah. Now that we're now that we're saying, oh yeah, well, it's definitely the Rangers. I mean, uh, well, with this one though, uh, the top line for Nashville, I feel like, is unstoppable. Uh, I don't know how St. Louis is going to handle Ryan Johansson, Philip Forsberg, and Victor Arvidsson. All of a sudden, people have discovered who Victor Arvidsson is, but if uh, 
if you were a Nashville fan this year, you would have been saying, uh, this guy's really fantastic. His speed was just way too much to handle for the Chicago Blackhawks in the first round, and he's kind of glued that, that line of skill players together. They don't have an unbelievably deep group of forwards. They've got some other nice forwards who can score, but it isn't like a Washington that runs uh, really deep with, with great scores. Yeah. But their defense is incredible. It's just flat-out amazing. P.K. Subban was phenomenal in the first round, and he's just a nightmare for anybody that plays against him, I think, for his entire career. But now there's even more because of the way that they use him, the way that they play, the number of skill players that they have. It's kind of optimized his skill set, which is a really scary notion. And as much as I like a guy like Petrangelo on the other side or some of the, the forwards that the Blues have, you, you take Subban with the level of skill that they have on the top line, and I just have a tough time seeing, A, Jake Allen stay at a 950 save percentage, and also the Blues being able to slow them down. They were able to slow down the Wild, but the Wild have some, some smaller guys, some guys that I think Mike Yo knew how to slow down. I don't think that that's the case with Nashville. You bring up Allen's save percentage again. Pekka Rene actually bested him in the first round. He had a 976 save percentage, which is like the most ridiculous <laughs> save percentage. Uh, I mean, he only played four games, but uh, I think Allen got more attention because, well, the opposition was just all over them. He, he faced uh, 60 more shots in just one extra game. So obviously neither of these goalies are what they were in the first round. They are both going to fall right. back to earth, whether it's, you know, by game four, whether it's by game three, game one, maybe one of them continues this crazy run to the next round, but Either way, you know, don't expect some huge goaltending duel. But I, I'm on your, on your side in terms of Nashville's front line, their top line, just going to town on on the St. Louis team, and like it's 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 one of those things where you you start watching a team more because they're in the playoffs, like day to day, and you realize like how important these puck moving defensemen are to uh, Nashville's attack. Like they don't even need. I mean, obviously they would they could use some depth, but their forwards are getting the puck right at the opposition's blue line all the time. They're always on the attack because their their defensemen are just so smart and they always just go straight north south um, instead of you know regrouping or whatever. It's just they're fun to watch and they were kind of the darling of the first round, if you will, in terms of uh, analytics people picking them. They didn't pick them in four, mind you, but picking them over uh, over Chicago. And it happening in dramatic fashion, uh, just sweeping them somehow. And uh, here they are in the second round. And I don't, I don't know. I've seen some people go Blues, but I think that there's never been a better team to use as an example of how the standings can be deceiving than the Nashville Predators. I mean, that, like you mentioned, a lot of the analytics people were saying Nashville could beat Chicago, and I had it go. I had it as a coin flip series, which turned out to be wrong, but. Uh, certainly didn't think that uh, Chicago was going to run them out of the building. Uh, they were very, very close in every statistical category, and they're even strength scoring. They are the second-best uh, Corsi team in the Western Conference. I mean, so they, they were very good, and it's just funny that they were nowhere close to Chicago when it came to the final standings. The, the guy that uh, I'm keeping my eye on for this series, and one of the reasons that I give the Predators a little bit of an advantage is Matthias Ekholm. The, the guy who does not get the credit for Nashville, maybe by the end of this series he will, but doesn't get the credit for Nashville because they have the stars back there. 
but he is their shutdown defenseman. He's kind of the Nicholas Jarmelson of the program. I was just going to, like, I was thinking, I'm like, well, who does he remind me of? What is it, like, what does a skill set match up with? And that's who I thought of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, and we saw, we've seen in playoffs how important that guy is. Because I totally agree with you that when you have a defenseman like Subban, who can control the pace of a game on his own stick by playing half the game and, and being so good with the puck. Uh, that's, that's so huge in the, in the postseason. But I think you also have to have that one guy who is just impossible to play against, really tough to score against, shuts guys down, doesn't allow easy zone entries. And Ekholm is, is the total package when it comes to that. He's, he's got the length and he can skate well enough and he's very defensively responsible. And the way that it's set up with him and Subban playing together, it's it's kind of like that perfect pair. Would it, it allows Subban to do whatever he wants to do out there, and you know that Ekholm is going to have his back. So I think he is the guy that's kind of the the key to this series. Do you have any other uh, you know guys to watch in in the second round that pop off the page that uh, maybe people should keep an eye on? Yeah, that's a, a good question, and let me kind of think about that for a second. Uh, well, you know, I, when I think about, uh, I could kind of go backwards here to yeah, no to Anaheim, and uh, okay, I mean, I mentioned Silverberg for them, but uh, for Anaheim, I, I think that maybe it's uh, Raquel for them is their their guy because he's the one that hasn't been there before. And he had a really great season this year as a big-time scorer. And I don't think that people know who he is because he's kind of just shown up on the scene and scored 30 goals. Although, after Matt Bolesky had that great year, I, I kind of wonder if, uh, you know, anybody who starts to play with Ryan Getzlaff can, you know, pot 30 goals. But uh, for for that's one another one in that series. I like Andre Burakovsky for the Chicago's – or uh, I'm sorry, the uh, Capitals series uh, with Pittsburgh. I mean, he didn't play a ton of ice time, but he's a really skilled player. And I think that he's kind of inconsistent at times, but if he's clicking, he can be really, really good. Uh, feel free to, to to stop me and, and jump in with a player of your own if you want. Well, just to add to your Raquel, uh, I guess, uh, nomination is I was like at the end of the regular season, I'm looking around at, you know, the different stats and I'm like, wow, Ricard Raquel had 10 game winning goals. Like I realized some of it is like maybe luck or, or just being, you know, you know, out there on four and four overtime, but like his shot, like if you look back on his 30 goals, like he's not scoring these on tap-ins, like he's got an incredible shot. And obviously if you get 10 goals in the regular season in 80 games that are game winners, like that's uh that's not something that you know. That's not a mistake. If he had six, maybe that's that's sort of like a bit of a luck involved. But when you have ten and you lead the league, like you're a big time scorer. So maybe he factors in in the second round more than he did in the first round, and he becomes sort of uh, a darling of the playoffs, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think so. For uh, the Rangers, I would say uh, Brendan Smith. Um, Brendan Smith went under the radar for a, a while with the, the Detroit Red Wings, and I thought he was underappreciated there that he's got some skill and he's got some puck-moving ability, and they're relying on him kind of a lot in New York. He averaged over 20 minutes a game, played every game, and he picked up one point, but was not that plus-minus is wonderful, nobody jump on me, but a plus-five in the first series. Uh, So, I mean, I I thought he's a key part of that series and, and will be again here. And one of the reasons maybe that the Rangers are more dangerous than they were last year 
that last year they went into the postseason with a blue line that was just like very short on on good defensemen, and now they add a player who is by no means Drew Doughty, but a, a big improvement there and a guy that they're going to rely on a lot. So I would throw his name out there for the Rangers. Yeah, I'm still still wary of their of their defense corps. Like it's once let's just assume they win against Ottawa. Like it's not going to be pretty in the next round uh, facing Washington and. And Pittsburgh just, you know, just getting yeah. attacked constantly and the Girardis of the world falling over their skates and, and not being able to, to keep up. But Matt, again, thanks for uh, for joining me. And uh, people probably have it memorized by now, but how can they find you, uh, your, you and your work? Well, I uh, write a weekly column for ESPN Insider, so there's that. Also, if uh, if you're a football fan out there, see, now my hockey team in Minnesota is done, so I'm not writing much hockey uh, these days, but 1500 ESPN is the radio station I work for in the Twin Cities, and you can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Collar, C-O-L-L-E-R. Awesome. Thanks again, Matt. All right. Thank you. 